Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you gather us together as your people. And we thank you for those great things that you have done, which bind us together as brothers and sisters. And we pray that this morning, as we stop to hear your voice, we pray that you might address us through your word. Please shape us, change us, direct and guide us, so that we might live faithfully as disciples of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. A long time ago, in a country far, far away, 11 men left a conference in which they had been debating the Lord's Supper. It was a conference that had been called in the midst of crisis. News had reached the Protestant princes of Germany and Switzerland that the Catholic Emperor's troops were at last free to pursue his agenda of stamping out the Protestant cause. They needed to band together to unite if they were to at all stand a chance. But one thing that divided them and made them vulnerable was their strongly held differences over the Lord's Supper. So one of those princes had called the theologians of Germany and Switzerland together to make a joint statement and heal any rifts between them. The 11 reformers left the Marburg colloquy dejected. They could not reach a common mind on the supper. Eyewitnesses recorded that Zwingli left in tears and Luther left convinced that he'd made another heroic stand for the gospel. He would, wouldn't he? 27 years later, an archbishop stood shackled to a pillar in the university church in Oxford on trial for his life. It was a moment of high drama when he departed from the approved script and denounced his own weakness in signing a recantation just weeks before. As he refused the Pope as Christ's enemy and antichrist with all his false doctrine, pandemonium broke out in the church. The last words people heard him say before they dragged him out to be burned were, and as for the sacrament, <laughs> some of the fiercest theological debates in the last thousand years have been over the Lord's Supper. Men and women have literally died because of what they believed and what they taught about this meal, anchored in the last meal Jesus had with his disciples the night he was betrayed. And the debates continue today, even though the sanctions are far less gruesome. There are those in Christian churches today who seem to think the supper is everything. It's a channel of grace. It is indispensable in the life of the Christian. Participating in this meal guarantees your salvation. We must celebrate the Lord's Supper and we must do it as often as we can. And there are those who treat it as entirely unimportant, as a distraction from what really matters, we should stop doing it and even recognise it was a mistake to get caught up with it in the first place. It's not important. It was never meant to be an example to follow. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning we will share in the Lord's Supper together. It's a great way to end a term. But why do we do it? Is this just an empty ritual, a hangover from our Catholic past, or is it something significant? something we should take seriously, something we should delight in. If it is empty, then we should just stop doing it. But if it is significant, then we should treat it as significant. 
our college stands, as you know, in the Reformed theological tradition. Zwingli and Calvin are more likely to get our vote than Luther or the Catholic Council of Trent. But we can't afford to find our answer to these questions about the supper in the writings of our favourite theologian or even in the official confessions of our churches. We need to return to the scriptures and see what God has to say to us about the supper and in particular about the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. This morning we arrive at the account of the last supper in Matthew's gospel in chapter 26. You might like to open your Bibles at that point. And I'm hoping that as we look a little more closely at these very familiar events, we might be able to challenge our own false thinking about the supper. Wherever you are on the continuum from indifference to obsession, I trust you'll have an opportunity to rethink your own views on the Lord's Supper as we look together at the Last Supper. Well, you might remember uh, that uh, when we last looked at Matthew together, Judas Iscariot had just gone out to the high priest and offered to hand Jesus over to them. And after being paid the measly amount of 30 pieces of silver, he began to seek an opportunity to betray him. Judas was looking for a time. We are about to hear Jesus say that his time is near. We pick up the story at verse 17 of Matthew 26. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain person and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near for me to take the Passover with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. And when evening came, he reclined with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Becoming very sorrowful, each one said to him, it's not me, is it, Lord? And answering them, he said, it's the one who dips his hand in the bowl with me. He will betray me. The son of man goes just as it has been written concerning him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It were good for him if that man had not been born. And Judas, who did betray him, said, it's not me, is it, teacher? And he said, you said it. And when they had eaten, Jesus took bread and having blessed it, he broke it and giving it to his disciples, he said, take, eat, this is my body. And taking a cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I say to you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine until that day when I will drink it with you new in the kingdom of my father. And after they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all take offense at me this night, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter said to him, if everyone takes offense at you, I will never take offense. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, on this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples spoke similarly. The Last Supper was Jesus' final preparation of his disciples for the terrifying events that were about to happen. They were not left to work out for themselves what was happening, what it was all about. 
Jesus gave them the categories and the framework to understand, to make sense of it all. They might only put all the pieces together after the event. At the time, they were too busy cowering in secret, afraid they'd be next. But afterwards, they would remember what Jesus said and did that night. And they would understand what Jesus had meant them to understand. So let's look at what happened as Matthew records it for us and let's notice the framework, the failure and the forgiveness of sins. First of all, the framework. The first and biggest insight into all that was happening that night, including the supper, comes from the timing. It was the time of the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We read about uh, the Passover back in Exodus 12. The original Passover, the first Passover meal, took place just before the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt. It accompanied the last of the ten great plagues by which God judged the enemies of his people and secured their release. It was to be a night of terrifying judgment and at the same time of glorious deliverance. In every home in Egypt, there was to be a death that night, the death of the firstborn, except in the homes of those Israelites who sought refuge under the shed blood of a lamb, splashed on their lintel and doorpost before they sat down to eat a meal in haste, a meal of unleavened bread, roast lamb and bitter herbs. And that night when judgment fell on all Egypt, the Lord's judgment passed over the homes of those faithful Israelites. But even before they ate the first Passover meal, God had told them that it was something they would do every year in grateful memory of those terrifying events. This day shall be for you a memorial day, God had told them through Moses. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. A night of terrifying judgment that brought glorious deliverance, remembered in a meal shared year after year by those who had been delivered and their descendants. And Jesus very deliberately associates the night we read about in Matthew 26 with that meal. It might seem like his disciples took the initiative after all they came to him and asked, where do you want to do it? Where do you want to have the Passover? But it soon becomes clear that Jesus had gone ahead of them. Everything that happened that week, everything that happened that night was known by him and prepared for by him. Jesus took charge of this last Passover meal. Notice again the message he gave the disciples to take to the unknown man in the city. My time is near to take the Passover with my disciples. The Passover was the appointed time. And the Passover itself provides the framework in which we get a proper sense of what was going on that night and the days ahead. A night of terrifying judgment which affects a glorious deliverance. The exodus was just a shadow by comparison. This judgment would be more terrifying and this deliverance more glorious. It is, of course, an indication uh, why the Old Testament continues to remain the word of God to us. 
It provides us, as it provided them, with the categories, the concepts and the framework to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did. We too have not been left to make the best sense of it that we can. God gave us all that we need to understand Jesus' life, death and resurrection, what they're all about and what they, why they are important to us. And I dare say, the better that we know the Old Testament, the better we'll understand that. Well, that's the framework. Secondly, the failure. That last Passover meal, the supper Jesus shared with his disciples on that night, is surrounded in Matthew's Gospel with stories of failure. The failure of catastrophic betrayal and the failure of cowardly denial. By this point, we know that Judas is the one who will betray him. Why, we even know the price of the betrayal. But it seems clear that no one else who sat around that table that night knew. When Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, all eyes didn't immediately look to Judas. Everyone's first reaction was to ask whether they were the one. It's not me, is it, Lord? But Jesus then told them two things that heightened the ugly tragedy of what Judas was about to do. Something about Judas and something about him. First, the one who would do this the one who would betray him, we know it will be Judas, was someone who was close to him. As Psalm 41 had put it, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. After all Judas had seen and heard, after all the privilege he'd been given, how close he had been, how much had been entrusted to him, Judas, for whatever reason, had turned away from Jesus. He couldn't call Jesus Lord now like the others did. If he ever could, teacher will have to do. That kind of betrayal has been repeated many, many times since then. And hardly anyone sees it ahead of time. But on this occasion, Jesus did. And secondly, the one who was betrayed is as we've heard many times in this gospel, the Son of Man, the one promised in the Scriptures, the one to whom all authority has been given to execute God's great purpose, the one who will sit on the throne. Judas's betrayal was real and it was ugly, but it was also pathetic because the Son of Man must and will triumph. He will go just as it has been written concerning him, but that will only serve his purpose, not undo it. On the other side of the meal, when Jesus and the remaining disciples had left the room and headed to the Mount of Olives, Jesus spoke of another failure. In the first instance, the failure of all the disciples, they'd all run, they'd all be scattered, they'd all hide in fear, but more especially, more shocking, the failure of Peter. Despite his protests and promises of unshakable loyalty, Peter would crumble too. And within a matter of hours, before the cock crows, he would deny Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. See, failure on both sides, betrayal and denial, commitments made and commitments broken, and in the middle, a meal remembering God's great faithfulness, which at that moment anticipates a greater faithfulness yet to come. But that failure was not something that took Jesus by surprise. 
You see, just as Psalm 41 spoke of the betrayal of one close and trusted, so Zechariah 13 spoke of the scattering of the sheep on the day the shepherd was struck. Jesus knew of both, and still he shared that meal and walked the road to the cross. Which takes us to, thirdly, the forgiveness of sins. We've already seen that uh, the Passover is the critical framework for understanding all that was happening that night for, and in a special sense, this meal. After all, it was a Passover meal. It was the great commemoration of God's deliverance in the midst of judgment. It was a declaration that those who participated were in fact the recipients of that deliverance. See, it was a reminder of what had been done for them at a point in time long before, but it was also an opportunity to identify with what had been done. It did not repeat what had been done. It did not even secure what had been done, but it remembered what had been done and proclaimed that it was really for them. In Exodus 12, it was anticipated with the children of the household asking, what is this all about? And God had given the answer, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our houses. The Exodus was an historical deliverance. It happened at a moment in human history, but it was not confined to that moment in human history. This is the deliverance that continued to determine what it meant to be the people of God. And so it is of massive significance when Jesus takes the elements of that meal and redirects them from the deliverance out of Egypt to the deliverance he was about to accomplish. The promise was about to give way to the fulfilment. What the Old Testament had been pointing towards, even on that great night of the first Passover meal, had at last arrived. And so this was the last Passover there would be a new night of terrifying judgment and more than a night, the next day and the third day. But it would be far more even than the Exodus had been, an act of glorious deliverance as well. When he said, it is finished. And when he stood before them as one who had been truly dead, but was now alive. So Jesus took the bread the bread which in the Passover meal would have been described as the bread of affliction, and he said instead, this is my body. He will bear the affliction, not just symbolically, but physically, tangibly, in his body. The bread they ate did not suddenly change and become his body. After all, his body was standing there right in front of them. But this bread pointed so powerfully to his body, what was done in his body, and the fact that what he did in this body was done for them. The Apostle Paul would write, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Peter would write, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And taking that bread... Eating that bread 
was such a powerful acknowledgement of that and an identification with that. Paul would put it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then Jesus took the cup and gave it to them all to drink and this time he said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins anticipated when the redeemed people of Israel were sprinkled with the blood of the covenant in Exodus 24, this fulfilment, the blood of the covenant, pointed to the central blessing of the covenant, the forgiveness of sins. We have, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And drinking this fruit of the vine... In this context, remembering these words is a powerful acknowledgement and identification with that. The wine or juice just stays wine or juice, but it points to so much more. The powerful propitiation through his blood, the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And that's why Paul could say, the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Matthew's Gospel, you may have noticed, does not have the words, do this in remembrance of me. They are found in the account in Luke's Gospel. But even by the time of, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, there appeared to be a habit in the churches of repeating that meal and remembering the words that Jesus said at the Last Supper, the last Passover. For I received from the Lord, wrote Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he'd given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The framework for understanding all that was unfolding that night, but not least the meal Jesus shared with his disciples, was the Passover. A celebration and identification with God's glorious deliverance achieved through terrifying judgment. This last supper was shared despite the failure that Jesus knew would take place that night, the betrayal of Judas, the desertion of the disciples, the denial of Peter. But at the heart of what Jesus taught his disciples that night was that what was about to happen, his broken body, his shed blood, at the heart of that lies the wonderful gift of the forgiveness of sins. In the midst of the storm, that night and in our own circumstances, we are reminded in a tangible and very physical way of what truly matters. We are, before we are anything else, those who have received all that has been done for us. And the supper will remind us of that too this morning as we simply hold out our hands and receive the bread and the juice. The supper points away from itself to Jesus, remember, by faith we consider Jesus, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. It's Jesus who saves us. It's Jesus who nourishes and feeds faith. 
It's in him and not in this meal that we receive the forgiveness of sins and every other spiritual blessing. So we can't afford to let the meal itself become the focus of our Christian discipleship. It is dangerously possible for a sacrament to become an idol. And yet Jesus gave this gift to the first disciples and to us, a means of engaging us tangibly and physically in acknowledging what he has done and identifying with him. So let's not ignore the supper either or treat it flippantly or in a perfunctory way as just an appendix to the things that really matter. It is significant and we should treat it as significant. It is something that we can delight in. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for knowing what we are like and knowing what we need. We thank you that you know that we need to be reminded and we need to be tangibly and physically reminded of what truly matters. And this morning as we gather around this table and share this token meal, would you help us to do that? For we ask it in Jesus' name.